listening to Good Mornings, the podcast talking all things grief with honesty and humor. Welcome back to the Good Morning Podcast. We are your hosts, Sal and Im, and we are back today in your ear holes with another incredible guest episode. But before we jump in, as always, just love a little recap of how you're doing, Sal, what's been happening in your world, even though I already know. Well, <laughs> tell us. Oh, so many exciting things happening in my world. I feel like they're happening in your world as well because yeah. um, we're joined at the hip. Joined at the hip for sure. But we uh, met Gabby Bernstein the other day, which was incredible. So we went to her Sydney show, didn't we? And it was amazing. And we got to meet her at the end and it was just really, really inspirational. So that was a massive highlight for me. And yeah, I loved being able to see her live in action. Also, our book is now published in the US and Canada. So that's a massive piece of news from us and something that we've been busy kind of working on behind the scenes. So I feel like those two things are probably my highlights. I did have a grief bomb the other day, an unexpected grief bomb. And you did. Tell us about it right now. It's 11.11, by the way. Oh, Spirit is it? Here. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. So I was just walking the dogs and this lady was really rude to me and I got home and I just felt really griefy and had a massive cry and as always took a photo of myself crying and sent it to you because that's just (laughs) what we do now it's like it wouldn't be a cry or a grief sesh or a grief bomb if I didn't capture it and send it to you I'm gonna share it with you guys after this episode goes to air don't worry I'll share I'll share you in on the griefy magic but it's been a it's been a a while since I had a grief sesh I was like oh Hello, grief sesh. It's been a while. Still grieving. Still grieving. Yeah, <laughs> caught, caught me off guard, but it was it was like triggered. Like I could feel like I was I was feeling griefy, and then you know something triggers it, and then it's like, oh, okay, yeah, I needed this release. Like I, I know I needed this, and it felt like it had been a while since the tears been flowing. So it yeah. felt good. I'm still doing my journaling every morning, first thing I do when I get up, and I'm really enjoying that practice. And it kind of, it helps me to tap into how I'm feeling, even though I might not cry or feel super emotional all the time. I do feel like it's a, it's a really grounding practice for me, but yeah, that's kind of what I've been up to really. Bit of Gabby Bernstein, US and Canada book launch and a good old grief sesh. So a real mixed bag. What about you, Im? What's been happening? Well, I mean, Gabby was absolutely a highlight for me too. She's such a little powerhouse, isn't she? And actually our guest today is a good friend of Gabby's. She is. But if you've listened to our episode with Gabby Bernstein, which you definitely should have, if you haven't, go and do it after this one for sure. But Gabby like workshopped a, like a new tool for her upcoming book which was amazing, like a once in a lifetime thing. And during that, we kind of workshopped this idea. I I said something that sparked an idea in in Gabby and she's like, oh my God, this is going to be the name of the tool for my new book. Like, thank you for helping me. And she dropped it in a like talk in Sydney, calling it the check-in process, which is something that we workshopped with her. So I'm still riding on a fucking high about that. Like how unbelievably amazing is that? Yes. She workshopped it on our pod and she actually said, didn't she? Like that um, it was the second time that she had workshopped it with the crowd. So hopefully the first time was with us. So that was quite amazing. So guys, if you've listened to that podcast, then, you heard Gabby workshop something on the pod 
for yeah. the first time. So it gave wait. her the name of it. Like it actually yeah. gave her the name of the tool that she's putting in her new book. So like you heard it here first, guys. But <laughs> yeah. so exciting. That was just such an incredible and motivating day and I feel super inspired. And guys, watch out because Sal and I are like vibrating high, ready to do big things for you guys to expand our offering and just make good morning a place where you can come and heal. And we are so excited for what's in store. But other than that, I had my mom's birthday, which was obviously a hard day. The birthdays are really tough. Mm-hmm. Didn't have a grief bomb though. That was interesting. So that's yet to come probably be any minute now, any day now. And yeah, that's kind of all that's been going on in, in my world Another thing before we get into who we've got on the pod today is we, for anyone that's living in Sydney or Australia who can catch a plane, Sal and I are holding a talk at Vivid Sydney this year on Saturday, the 17th of June, which is very soon. It's going to be incredible. We've teamed up with comedian Grace Ruvray. It's going to be an exploration of grief, you know, and Mm -hmm. what grief is. It's called Good Morning, A New Way to Think About Grief. So it's going to be exactly that. And we'd love to see some familiar faces in the crowd. So guys, you can head to the show notes and find the tickets there or over on our Instagram. And yeah, let's let's get into who we're talking to today. So today's incredible guest is Lisa Messenger, who some of you may be familiar already with. She's an amazing and iconic Aussie entrepreneur and all round inspiring human and we're talking about a topic today that is a really big one and something that we know has impacted a lot of you and a lot of your friends and family members as well. And it's something that we don't always know how to approach or talk about openly. So that's why we really wanted to shine a light on it by um, sharing this conversation with Lisa today. And that is infertility and the struggles and the grief that can come when you're trying for a baby. So guys, Lisa went through a huge 17 rounds of IVF over an eight-year period and her journey is quite remarkable, isn't it? It really is. Like, I've got so much respect for her. I really admire Lisa and not only how she's so open about her journey, which you guys will hear, but she really went through all of this grief and like like you just mentioned, Im, 17 rounds of IVF while she was also building her business and running a successful empire and catching like flights around the world. And the thing is, she madness, madness, (laughs) but she didn't share any of it publicly. And I think anyone that's listening that has been through a similar experience will can probably appreciate that. That's really difficult to be carrying that and coping with that without talking about it. Um, And she's now expecting a baby via surrogacy, which is absolutely wonderful news. And she shares that journey as well with us. Uh, But I think she's just an incredible source of strength and inspiration. And I think this conversation for anybody who is interested or supporting somebody or going through it themselves will be really hopeful, really encouraging, very inspiring and, and just very, very relatable. Lisa also shares a beautiful story towards the end about her dad and the time they shared before he passed away suddenly. It gave us both shivers. Um, So you're going to want to definitely stay tuned for that as well. Lots of goodies in this very inspiring conversation, guys. So without further ado, let's jump in. Well, Lisa, we are beyond excited to chat with you today. And before we get stuck in, we just wanted to say a massive congratulations. Thank you. (laughs) Your recent news. Yes, some news. I know I'm 
beside myself excited. Uh, it's been a very long journey, a long time mm. coming, and I'm sure we're going to dig into that on the potty today. I was doing some research about you before this interview, and I came across this old Mamma Mia article. I can't remember what year it was, but you were talking about a period in your life where you were struggling with addiction and you were kind of at rock bottom and you ended up driving yourself to your own funeral. Am I correct in thinking this? Well, yes, yes, more or less. Please explain. (laughs) How do you end up driving yourself to your own funeral and what what does that look like? And yeah, how did you end up doing that? I shouldn't be laughing at all. No. But but I mean, but I'm laughing because because so much of my life has been such a train smash and that Mm. piece is like so far behind now. So, you know, um, it's good because you can desensitize and, Mm. you know, reflect on the lessons learned. So, yes. So I, I mean, this is like the perfect podcast and I feel like you girls do like the most amazing job. It's just extraordinary. And you've turned, you know, really tricky, horrible, you know, adversity into you know what are the silver linings and things so let's start with that but um so I've had a lot of adversity in my life so the funeral piece was because um 18 and a half years ago I gave up drinking Mm -hmm. um because my life I was um very addicted to alcohol I was using it as a crutch um I spent a lot of my 20s feeling suicidal I alienated my family and um a lot of relationships and I did hit rock bottom and so I didn't drive myself to my actual funeral or I wouldn't be here you wouldn't be here otherwise (laughs) but um but what I did do was I started on quite an extraordinary sort of spiritual journey and doing a lot of therapy and a lot of modalities and one of those modalities um and I won't say which course it was but it was a um eight day intensive cathartic retreat the reason I won't say which one it was is I don't want to spoil it for anyone who might do it because the whole funeral oh yes yeah significant part of that course and you you would think you're crazy if you're going there but it's one of the most liberating things I've ever done so you actually go it sounds very dark you actually go to a physical cemetery you choose a gravestone I mean it's dark as and it's I've actually done it twice now I've done the whole course twice I did it 18 years ago and then I did it again a year ago and it's phenomenal um you choose a gravestone you lie down on it or beside it (laughs) however brave you're feeling and you imagine I mean this is powerful stuff right so for me 18 years ago I imagined I'm you know I've just died what is happening around me in the current way that I've been living my life so I really imagined um you know, everyone's saying, oh, well, she was bound to go anyway. You know, her life was an absolute mess. Oh, well, you know, she was a drunk and she was hopeless and she was never going to amount to anything. You know, oh, it's probably for the best. So imagine all these like really horrible things, right? Mm. It is the most singular, powerful thing. I then got up and journaled and in my business, I create now a lot of journals. So many journals, which we love. It's the thing that's helped me so much. So that has become my kind of lifelong mission and passion to help other people. So then I got up and journaled and I was like, oh my gosh, you know, this is what happened. This is what people were saying about me. And then I went and lay back down again. (laughs) And then I imagined, okay, 
from this moment on, what it just it gives me shivers talking about it. Yeah. What do I want my legacy to be? How can I reframe this? How can I make a decision from this point forward to change the way that I respond to the world? You know, because I say things come at us every single day. I mean, much of your podcast is about this, that are beyond our control often. But what we can control is our mindset and how we consciously choose to respond. So I lay back down again. And then I was like, right, that wasn't pretty. Let's go again. So then I was like, I really want to make a mark on the world. I want to help people. I want to be brave and courageous enough to find out who I am, what makes me tick, what's holding me back, why am I self-sabotaging? I want to learn the lessons and then I want to share the lessons learned. And I tell you what, I got up off that gravestone then and I like jumped off and I was like, I'm ready to go. And after that, very cathartic exercise. And people can do, you know, a very soft, much softer version of that. But I do encourage people, like even just take a moment to write down what people would say about you now and what you'd love people to say about you, what legacy you'd like to leave. And so I made it my mission then and there 18 years ago to live my life very, very differently. I healed all my family relationships. Um, I stopped drinking. Uh, you know, just got rid of a whole lot of bad behaviors, did the work on myself, a lot of therapy. And, and you know, life now looks very, very, very different. So powerful, like what a story and what a woman to have come, you know, have been through all of that adversity and then being the successful entrepreneur, the incredibly, you know, positive and inspiring person that you are. We've just been so excited to chat with you because yeah, you're just, you're an incredible woman. Thank you. Thank you. But I think the message very much is that each and every one of us has stuff you know demons or things that we have to overcome whether they're you know things that we're responding to from childhood traumas or whatever it is Mm -hmm. that we need to deal with and I think it's extraordinarily liberating like I look back at the person I was and I'm like oh my gosh there's not even like a shadow of you know like it's completely different now but it's because I got courageous enough to do the work and continue to do the work yeah and that's it. And it is courageous, isn't it? Going deep into yourself. Like it's, it takes strength. It takes courage. Yeah. It's traumatizing and mm. that can be really confronting mm. and awful. And sometimes it's easier to keep perpetuating those negative patterns, but actually, you know, and it's difficult because a lot of stuff actually for me, I mean, I don't know if this is the track that you want to go on, but a lot of it was, um, I used to think, oh, you don't inherit things from your parents or something that happened to you when you were three. How can that possibly have significance now later in life? But when I did go back and realize, oh my gosh, I've given so much weight to these things, which have led to feelings of unworthiness or not good enough, or I can't do this, or, you know, patterns, or I'm going to run away from it, or I'm going to like drink myself into oblivion, or I'm going to, you know, whatever the thing is, and we all have things. But then when I went back into it and dealt with that and made friends with it, I was like, oh, that wasn't such a big thing. And the funny thing about that is my sister, who's only, we're only 18 months apart in age. Like there's some things we have a great relationship now and I'll be like, oh my gosh, what about this thing? And she's like, what? I don't even remember that. And it's like something that happened to us exactly the same time. And we've either had a really negative or really positive response. Same thing happened to us. Um, And, you know, we've carried it 
through life and like we're fascinated by some of the stuff we talk about because actually we had a pretty good childhood but um you know it's just it's just as children the things that we respond to and somehow we carry through life and you know all of my negative traits I know for sure when I don't want to deal with something or I don't want to confront something it's absolutely the little child in me being like wounded and I need to like Mm. step up and be like it's okay I got this so totally can so relate to that and Im and I (laughs) we have been on a similar journey through kind of our grief doing the podcast like learning more about ourselves and the things that have impacted us because they you know things that happen in your childhood that you're not even maybe aware of we actually had Gabby Bernstein on the podcast the other day and she was talking about her experience with trauma and like big T, little T traumas and like the little th- the little things that can really impact you as well that you might not be aware of. And that was so fascinating because I think mm. sometimes we don't recognize the yeah. little things as well, right? Absolutely. And they can seem completely insignificant at the time or in hindsight, but they can impact us. Yeah, Gabby's amazing. She's a good friend of mine and um, she's supported me a lot. We've contributed to each other's books and done lots and lots of bits together. Yeah, she's phenomenal and both sober. Yeah, so she's amazing. Yes, we actually thought that you guys were friends. Sal did a bit of digging. She's like, I think they're really good friends. We're like, how amazing <laughs> is that? What a what an amazing friend to have. What and a duo. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm seeing her in a few weeks. No doubt you're going to her um, Aussie um, gigs. But yeah, I'll have dinner with her and catch up. So yeah, she's very special. But that's the thing, right? Like, I never take any of this for granted. I go back 18 and a half years and that person would just laugh at you know the relationships and the things that I've managed to conquer but now to me I'm like they're just other people who are on the journey doing the work you know and I think that's the thing like the more that I have become courageous and stepped up the more extraordinary things happen it's not an accident right so Yeah, I always say, my mother says to me, oh, you practically came out of the womb saying anything's possible. (laughs) (laughs) In those years, years, I was like squashing it down and, you know, self-sabotaging. I think underneath, when I got clear, I would say it's always been there. I was just stifling it. Yes. And I really admire you. And something that I can see in you that I really uh, look up to is like, you've just got this energy, you make things happen. You've just got this like incredible life force and you've built like a an empire, a global empire. Like you mentioned earlier, a lot of your work is founded in creating resources and journals to help people. And you had an amazing magazine, the collective hub. I used to love the collective hub. Yeah, um, <laughs> when did that start? Was that after you had this experience? to you know the fun- the, the, the self-funeral and kind of g- getting sober was that when you decided to start the collective hub and your journey now no so that so I I gave up drinking in 2004 I didn't start the magazine until 2013 the idea came to me in 2012 but if I look back now which I've documented in some of my books like Daring and Disruptive and Money and Mindfulness I um I look back and everyone will relate to this like often things in sequential order don't make a lot of sense but when you look back and you piece them together you're like oh of course everything was leading to that moment so uh when I look back the funny thing is I think it was 
2009, maybe, I registered a business name called Messenger Magazines. Uh, and then I think a couple of years before, I bought a book on how to start a magazine. Like there were all these signs. <laughs> and the funny thing was that at the time, it just became so obvious. So I gave up drinking. My career kind of took off. I started doing a lot of custom publishing for other people. So helping people write and produce books. And I started writing books. Um because I was really passionate about telling people's stories. And then in 2012, I got comfortable. So this is where, you know, life goes, it's like a roller coaster or, a you know, pendulates between different stages and phases. And I was making really good money and, you know, I had a really nice lifestyle by 2012, but I was comfortable. And I was like, I know inside me I meant more right and so what I did I'm not particularly religious but I'm quite spiritual but I remember like probably 2011 2012 I kind of prayed every single day I was like just whatever I'm meant to be doing like show me my purpose if it's cleaning toilets in India then so be it like whatever it is and so that was this moment for me of complete surrender and detachment from outcome and detachment from trying to control what I what I should be doing and it's the weirdest thing because and I promise you if people just do this keep saying you know what is it that I'm meant to be doing what is it that I'm meant to be doing or I'm almost in a ritualistic mantra fashion then in 2012 it just came to me and it was like oh my gosh I am surrounded by so many extraordinary entrepreneurs and creative people and inspirational people like by then I'd had some really amazing people in my circle and I'd been creating books like custom publishing books quite one-dimensional compared to a magazine so that skill set coupled with the frustration of oh my gosh everything in the media is like sounds amazing it's amazing and I'd be always like but how but how but why but why how did they get here do you know what I mean like people would look at your podcast and they'd be like oh wow that's amazing but I was like but how did they start it? why did they start it how are they funding it so it was all mm -hmm. those bigger questions as an entrepreneur that I felt no one was really addressing mm -hmm. so the idea was really as simple as I see a problem in the market I have this passion and energy and I'm a bit bored doing what I'm doing. I'm just going to throw it into um, very technical word, smooshing everyone I know into one format, a magazine. And I mean, it's a pretty well documented journey now. But the thing about that was that I'd never worked for a magazine. I'd never worked for the media. Uh, I was entering a highly saturated industry. I think there are about five and a half thousand print mags in Australia alone at the time. And um, people said, even back then, magazines are dead or dying. But within 18 months, the print magazine was in 37 countries. Um, I had an email from Anna Wintour 14 months in, well, from her one of her three PAs saying, Anna, we'd like to meet you in New York. I flew over oh, and met no. with Anna. Um, I had also within 14 months, Richard Branson invited me to go to his private island, NECA. I've since shared a stage with him five times. Like, so the magazine came really, or its success came really as a result of, again, just really knowing what my purpose was, having this deep inner knowing, and then almost resigning myself to the fact, like not trying to control how it was going to happen. So then the synchronicity and the serendipity and what happened as a result was just extraordinary. It just exploded. And um, yeah, and for the next five years, it was, I mean, 
beyond my wildest dreams. You know, I had Sarah Jessica Parker on the cover. I had Ryan Gosling on the cover, George Clooney. As I said, I shared a stage with Richard Branson five times, um, spent time with Anna Winter. Like, amazing, amazing, amazing. Wow. But in the theme of morning, <laughs> or good morning, um, five years in, so 2018, I grew too quickly and was hemorrhaging cash and you don't know what you don't know so I went from a business that was a couple of million dollars of turnover to a very large business in 37 countries and um, with several different revenue streams we were doing up to four events a week and I didn't have the right and a lot of creatives who are listening will relate to this I was I'm amazing at being a visionary a creative you know coming up with ideas linking people doing collaborations and deals I'm actually quite terrible at you know, finance, HR, legal, all that stuff. I do it because I have my have had my businesses for so long, but I didn't have the right data-orientated implementers to kind of keep it on track. So in 2018, I made a very sad but courageous decision to close the print mag after 54 issues. And ironically, it was at its absolute peak. So from a brand perspective, it looked amazing. Everyone loved it. Um, so it sounds like you're one of those. And it was really a very difficult decision. And I spent a lot of time sort of on the bathroom floor crying that I was, you know, having a great sense of loss and grief that I had to let it go. But it was actually in equal measure, the most courageous thing I've ever done was starting it and having the courage to kind of go, I need to cut the guts out of it if this is truly my purpose, then I need to, you know, wind back, right size it and be able to kind of fulfill my purpose and, you know, bring it back in a more sustainable way. So yeah, that was, that was a very big grieving time, but also mm. an extraordinary time. Super, super brave. And I think that's another thing that we don't talk about very um, often is the grief that comes with losses in life that aren't death losses, like, you know, closing your magazine, closing your business, changing, changing mm. big elements of your life. And I just think hats off to you, because I do remember when you launched Collective Hub, it, the print magazine economy, particularly in Australia, was dying. Like I work in PR. So, you know, we were pitching to magazines and they were all closing. And then yeah. to then so to, to launch something in a market that was really tough and to succeed and then to close it at a time, I think just absolutely incredible and so courageous. So, yeah, a lot of respect for that. Thank you. And I think what that did as well, like I said, my whole mission in life, because things aren't always going to go as I plan. I mean, that did not go as I planned. You know, I finally realized my dream, absolute dream, like the greatest time of my life to date that at that time. Um, and then I had to close it. But the thing about that is um, I, in doing so and in speaking about it publicly at the time, um, it sort of gave permission to so many other people. So there were a whole mm. lot of people at the time who also closed their businesses or, you know, because I think a lot of the time people, again, maybe childhood stuff, hang on to things to save face or it's ego or, you know, they need to look like it's all going really well or they'll close something and they'll try and do it quietly and not make a thing about it. But I just made a... Um, video at the time went for about half an hour with my 
editor at the time, Amy, who interviewed me and I just said why I was doing it, why I made the decision. And I think when you own your story and you say it out loud, it actually lets other people, like the amount of people, I thought, oh my God, everyone's going to hate me. This is not going to be a disaster. But actually everyone <laughs> fell in love with, I think, me or the story more because I owned it. And the amount of people that came to me and were like, oh my gosh, I felt the same way. I'm going to close my business or blah, blah, blah. So I think this is what, one of the reasons your podcast is so important. I think it's in having these conversations that we empower other people. And so, yeah, I really hats off to both of you for doing what you do. I think it's pretty amazing. Thank you. And it's that vulnerability that I think mm. people really appreciate too, to just put your hand up and say, you know what, this isn't working out. You know, this isn't what yeah. I'd hoped. And I think people really appreciate that. And that's yeah. something that we found with our podcast. Like that's why it has kind of turned into what it has is because we're just, we just tell it like it is. I feel like we could just keep talking about so many things, but I am conscious of the <laughs> of your time. Um, there's so much we want to talk to you about, Lisa, and a big part of why you're here today is your journey with infertility and IVF and surrogacy. Um, yes. I think you've only recently started speaking publicly about it as well. Can you just tell us a little bit about your journey so far and what made you decide to share it with others? Yeah, so another story of, adversity but turning yeah. it into a positive because we're now having a baby he is due on the 2nd of August and I'm beside myself excited but yeah, it has congrats. been a long thank you it's been a very long journey so I'll just I'll try and make it kind of short but again the message is I think that there are multiple ways to achieve a result if you know what you're wanting to do so mm -hmm. I've certainly walked the path I don't have all the answers but I'll tell you what happened so 2015 so a long time ago um I got pregnant and I was so excited it was actually with my previous partner and then I had a miscarriage. So that was what kind of unlocked for me. Oh my gosh, I really want to be a mummy. So that's um, how many years ago? Eight years ago. Um, then that partner and I split up. Um, I went to Bali later that year. This is when I'm like determined when I get something in my head, I'm like, I want to be a mummy. And I spent my birthday at the Jodie O'Shea orphanage because I was like, I just want to go to an orphanage and I want to like help children on the day and there was this little tiny baby Gracie who was I think eight months old and she was lying by herself on like a pretty mm. dirty mattress and so I kind of made it my mission for about the next six months I was like I'm going to adopt this child and it turned out that um, it was almost impossible to do for various legal reasons um, then I was still single and I was like, right, that's it. I'm going to have a child. So I actually went down the path of um, looking into and getting donor sperm. So I did two rounds of IVF with donor sperm. Neither of that worked. So miscarriage, tried to adopt donor sperm. <laughs> so then I met my current partner. We've been together six and a half years and um pretty early on we were like yeah we want to have children so then we were like great well we'll just try naturally you know I got pregnant before this will be fine and probably six months or so into trying we were like okay we probably need to go down the IVF route so I then did another 14 rounds of IVF so went out to 16 rounds with the two with Jonas Bem so I did 16 rounds wow. of IVF and um 
it was incredibly frustrating and I mean and also for anyone who's been through that journey it takes an enormous toll on you emotionally physically and financially Mm -hmm. (laughs) like we actually ended up selling our home in Sydney last year and Steve and my partner said something really important because I was kind of pretty devastated about it from many levels and um, he said if we want to have a child like if that is really our greatest yearning then it doesn't matter if it costs one dollar or one million dollars like if that's what we're trying to do we just go all in and we do it so um after 16 rounds and that's um to put it into perspective for people who have who haven't been through that um every single one of those 16 rounds I injected myself um probably on average 30 times and I used to hate needles <laughs> and you got to like self-inject wow so I think I added up it was something like 480 times I've injected myself wow and um I had egg retrievals all of those times so every time you go into hospital have an egg retrieval you go into general anesthetic they then retrieve the eggs they then put the embryo in. It's then a two-week excruciating wait. So I did that 16 times where you wait for, am I pregnant? And 16 times I had a phone call saying, oh, Lisa, not this month. So that went on for years and none of it I shared publicly. And that's difficult because you two know, many people know I'm like the great oversharer. I kind of like normally share in the moment whatever's going on, but it was just so excruciating and I just didn't have any answers so I lived it Hmm. but privately when it came to light was I just had it one day and I put the camera up and I just like was bawling my eyes out and I was like god it's just so hard and and then everyone came out of the woodwork and was like oh my god I've been through Simala or you know whatever it was and that's when I realized that actually telling this story would help me feel better because I didn't have to hold it all to myself but also just to help the extraordinary number of people who are going through this alone um but now I'll tell the beautiful story (laughs) so um Sarah who is currently carrying our baby boy I met her 12 and a half years ago she was one of my first editors when I was working on um the book before the magazine and uh, she came into my office and she's edited a lot of my books since and we've been good friends for years and years and years. Um, our father's passed away within three months of each other to the day. We can come back to that if you want. And mm-hmm. so we've had a lot of life moments that we've shared. And in 2018, she knew, so five years ago, she knew I was going through IVF and we had a coffee and she said to me, which is bizarre she said oh if you ever want a surrogate I would love to carry your child and I was like no 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 (laughs) thank you amazing wow but no so a lot of people are like how did you decide on a surrogate it's not like it just came up and happened suddenly it's also like I didn't just give up drinking suddenly or I didn't just start in the magazine suddenly like it's lots of moments and then last year so 2022 I have this propensity to jump in and help with a crisis so whether it's bushfires or floods or like I don't know starving animals anything I sort of jump in and help out that's when I met my all-time best and we were living in Bangalore in the northern rivers and the floods were terrible and I jumped in and I was opening up evacuation centers and 
coordinating helicopters, none of which is in my wheelhouse, but I just seem to jump in and do it. <laughs> I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> what can't make, you do, honestly? I make it happen. <laughs> um, and the funny thing is Sarah's husband is uh, has a radio show on the Gold Coast, and I didn't know this, but I was doing a lot of media through that time because I became a bit of a point person for the Northern Rivers about what was going on. So I did this radio interview, and afterwards Sarah texted me and goes, oh, my gosh, you were just on the radio with my husband, David. Um, how's the IVF going? And I, on text, this is March 2022, I was like, not great, still want to be a surrogate. This is on text. And she comes back and goes, Yep, absolutely. Let's bring a baby into the world. I just got chills wow. at that. Oh my god! It was like all these, yeah, the degrees of separation, and then it all came together. I know. Wow. And Sarah and I've talked about it a lot since, and there's a few lessons in it. I think one is again be unafraid to ask for what you want and I say we say to each other oh it's so bizarre that that happened on text but I think maybe because I was literally helping save people in a life or death situation maybe yeah. I, I just let my guard down and I was like oh I just don't care anymore yep I need help so yeah. um yeah so then the journey began and we did round number 17 and it was the first time we ever heard the words, you're pregnant. And so we were like over the moon. We're so excited. And then at week five, Sez had a miscarriage. So then we were like, oh, oh God, okay. And then round 18, which happened in October, um, she got pregnant. Yeah. So, yeah. So we're now um, actually tomorrow well I don't know when anyway I don't know when you're putting this out but we're um 23 weeks at the time of doing this episode and yeah our baby boy is due on the 2nd of August and do you know what even though like for so many years it was so excruciating I actually cannot imagine a more beautiful or perfect way to bring a child into the world because Sarah and I like I saw her um three times last week tonight we're both in Sydney we're having dinner we're doing a photo shoot tomorrow oh. together like we, we probably Stephen laughs at us like we are texting all day every day if we're not texting we're DMing we're like literally finish each other's sentences it's like I don't know doing this with my best friend and we've just become so close and yeah so again I think the lesson is just if you want something, stay open to how the world may bring that to you. Mm, I just want to acknowledge you because that is an incredible amount to go through. And, mm. you know, IVF is a huge, it's a huge demand on you physically and mentally. And you, you yeah. said, you know, you were running your business then and you didn't tell anyone like how, how what yeah. did you do to survive that long period of time? Like when, when things didn't work out the way you hoped, like how did you, how did you cope? Cause that must've been, each time like a huge period of grief for you yeah huge periods of grief and a lot of what I do for a living is I speak all over the world so I'm often on a stage in front of I don't know up to 10,000 people I've spoken so through that period 
when you're having to inject yourself, it's like I was often traveling internationally with like ice packs and, you know, what happens in IVF and people who've done it will know, you need to inject yourself, you choose a time. So it might be 8 a.m. and 8 p.m., but you have to inject yourself exactly at that time um, every single day. So sometimes I might have been on a flight or just about to jump on stage or, you know, so it was like a lot and traveling with ice packs and needles and stuff so and then not quite knowing you know when everything's going to happen so when you're going to have the implantation or the egg retrieval so it does throw a lot of a woman's life in particular into turmoil because there's so many things you have to turn up for Mm -hmm. and the other thing is that because I'm so big on mindset one of my not negotiables is that I exercise every single morning. So I'm in Sydney today. I did a Barry's class this morning, which I loved. <laughs> um, and I do that every single day. So, but when you put the embryo in, the fertility clinic says no exercise for two weeks. So um, 16 times I couldn't exercise for a two week period. So when I'm running a pretty substantial and sometimes complex business my one thing is like exercise every day you know blow off those endorphins get the adrenaline pumping or whatever and so I found that incredibly difficult because it's like when you're at your when I needed that outlet I didn't have it so I did turn to kind of meditation and journaling and other practices but as well you know there's a lot of fluctuating weight because my I was constantly bloated like I was pregnant because of all the hormones so you gotta walk around looking pregnant Mm. but you're not pregnant like it's yeah it's a lot um and then the financial part and you know we were fortunate that you know we've my partner and I have run businesses for a lot of years so you know we had financial resources to a degree because IVF costs around $12,000 every cycle so we kind of did that for a while and then we were like okay we need to sell the house if we're going to keep going because that's the reality like Mm -hmm. you can't just um you know pull money from nowhere but we did make a lot of other sacrifices and reprioritized I guess and we're also in a fortunate position because we've had our businesses for so long and they've been relatively successful but still yeah and and so I think I feel so much for people who aren't in that position the beautiful thing about um surrogacy in Australia is it's altruistic so um we looked at an agency in the U.S. in the U.S. to have a surrogate costs probably upwards of three hundred thousand dollars like it is ridiculous um in Australia you're not allowed to pay a surrogate so it has to be someone who really genuinely wants to do it but what we do pay for is we treat Sarah exactly like she is me so all medical expenses um you know maternity wear massages anything that she you know that will support her journey so that's where it also blows my mind that she just is doing this out of the generosity of her heart and it's just amazing you know so there are options for people I think that's yeah don't give up (laughs) yeah that's really interesting I didn't know that about the surrogacy in Australia versus the US it's good for people to know and Lisa looking back on your journey what 
would you say to someone who may be in the thick of their IVF journey and really struggling, is there any kind of words of wisdom that you would like to let them know? Yeah, I'd say just be really careful who you listen to. (laughs) And in a way, I'm glad I kept it private because people will relate to this. Literally people around you will be like, oh, just relax more or, you know, just let it happen naturally or when Mm. you least expect it. (laughs) And I know people are well-meaning, but also you just want to like punch them in the head. (laughs) It's not helpful, (laughs) is it? Oh, yeah. (laughs) At least, at least blah, blah, blah. Oh, God, yeah, Yeah. the things people say. And also throughout all of that as well, we also did – at some points I was doing like three rounds of acupuncture a week. I was doing Chinese medicine. Like there was a woman, Lily Lou, who's in Surrey Hills in Sydney, who was literally, I had 90 tablets a day at one point. And then, no, that sounds ridiculous. There's these little things that look like tiny, tiny little bullets and you take 50 of those at a time. So like I was literally Whoa. trying everything under the sun. And so it's really hard when people don't have the context of what you're going through and they're like, oh, Oh, have you tried acupuncture or and you just say like yes I've tried I've everything. Tried everything can you not yeah so I think my advice would be just like be kind to yourself and uh tell people what's what you're open to and what you're not open to so finally when I did share I made it very clear on social media I was like you know thank you for I'm sure you all have lots to say and I appreciate it at this time I'm actually not open to any other suggestions thank you like I think sometimes get really clear about what Mm. you need and what you don't need so Mm. I just was when I did start telling friends or whatever I was like I'm just letting you know this is what we're going through what I need right now is I just need like love support lots of cuddles what I don't need is advice I do not want any advice because that was just um really freaking overwhelming because everyone was like like for example at one time someone said to me oh there's a woman on the northern beaches she can guarantee a pregnancy right you're so vulnerable so we ended mm-hmm. up seeing her for a while she cost nine dollars a minute I've never come across a naturopath who costs nine dollars a minute <laughs> she never turned up on time she was like this complete you know unregulated charlatan and, yeah, <laughs> and it just ended up creating more stress for us Mm. but I mean that was early on when we probably did listen and grab onto everything so I think yeah just have very clear boundaries about what support you need and want and what really you just don't want because it's not helpful it's just overwhelming totally and you are being in such a vulnerable state as well like and sharing that with others it's really important to have boundaries and if there's anyone listening who might be interested in exploring surrogacy do you have any advice or any tips on kind of taking those first steps is there anything that really helped you guys yeah so so I can quickly talk through the process of it so um I think the biggest thing is just I would say to your friends and people just be open about hey we're looking to explore surrogacy because what's happened is since I've started talking about I can't even tell you how many people have said oh I would have been a surrogate for you or if you want to have another one I'll carry it so it's actually amazing how many people I've discovered actually love carrying children (laughs) so I think be open to it now the stipulation in Australia is that um it slightly differs from state to state. However, the 
surrogate has to have already completed their own family. So, for example, Sarah has three children. Her youngest, Jessie, is six. Um, so she knows that her and David have finished her family. And that's really important because, and it's a legal stipulation so that they don't suddenly be like, oh, my God, I want to keep the child. So um, yeah. must have finished having their family. Then what you do is Stephen and I and Sarah and David had um, a three-hour counselling session with an amazing guy, Ian Trevelyan, who who um, focuses on surrogacy. And that counselling session, which we just did over Zoom, just looks at all sorts of anomalies, like, are you sure you guys want to do this? Like, And throw sort of questions like, you know, David, how are you going to feel with your wife being pregnant with someone else's child? Or, you know, Sarah, how will you feel when you have to hand the baby over? Or like, what happens if um, you you figure out early on that the baby has Down syndrome? Like, how will the four of you deal with it? So you kind of go through this quite amazing session of things that Ian knows about that, you know, or whoever the counsellor knows about that you might not have thought about. And you really work out, yep, okay, we all feel really great. Then what happens is you get a lawyer. Um, we have a guy called Stephen Page in Australia who specialises in surrogacy legalities and you draw up a contract um, just like anything in life, business, anything else. You have a contract in place for anything that could possibly go wrong and, you know, that's worst case scenario, you default to that. But basically in that contract is the you know, you can't pay a surrogate, um, we must cover all expenses, all that kind of thing. And also anything that's come out in the counselling session, like, you know, if the baby has this, this is what we will decide to do. So all of that stuff goes into the contract. And then basically, Sarah goes through more or less similar, not exactly the same process of IVF. So she needed to do a couple of injections, which she wasn't quite ready for. She was like, oh my God. I was like, sorry. Okay, let's hold hands and do this together. Um, and then the embryo gets implanted and, you know, off we go essentially. So that's the process. So if people want to go down this track, I would, you know, ask around and just make it known that you're looking at doing it. And I can honestly say, I mean, I can imagine if you didn't have the right person, Diva, it could be awful if they're like, I'm too tired, I need, like, whatever. But Sarah is like, literally at some points she was vomiting 12 times a day and I was like, oh, my God, I feel so bad. Do you want me to stick my fingers down my throat? I feel like I should be there with you. Oh, <laughs> you're like, so strange. And she was literally like, she was literally like, oh, this is working like she's just the most amazing human so I feel like after all the hell we went through like doing this together with her I can't imagine a more perfect or beautiful or amazing thing so I really strongly re recommend people if they're struggling to consider surrogacy because it's been nothing but beautiful for us such helpful advice and I just can't tell you how happy we are for you you know this is just a beautiful ending to a lot of you know a lot of tough years for you mm -hmm. and Stephen as well so thank you for sharing this I know it'll be really helpful for a lot of our listeners too and just jumping back a bit you did mention that you had gone through the loss of your dad and you have a quite a, an interesting story around his death don't you would you like to share that with us because I know yeah. In the lead so, up to his death, there's something yeah. 
but again I feel like I feel sorry for everyone listening they're like oh god how many more things does this girl <laughs> well you did preface this saying you'd been through a lot of adversity so but I'm still yeah, laughing and smiling right and I really believe it's the mindset yeah. piece while some of it is excruciating and almost unfathomable but mm. um again silver linings and what happened was yeah and thanks Im I mean the story prefacing my dad's sudden passing was extraordinary so what happened was um it was actually 2007 September 2017 18th of September 2017 and um and my business at that time we just found out that it was like hemorrhaging cash and it was in the worst possible space and Mm -hmm. I drove up to my dad had an apple orchard in orange ironic and (laughs) Stephen and I often and this is this gives me shivers like this is an extraordinary story um often so dad used to come to Sydney every week for work and so I would have dinner with him every week in Sydney when I was in Sydney and we had a great relationship but he would often say come up to Orange for the weekend and because I was like so busy with work we'd often be like no no, no, we don't have time we don't have time and honestly I feel like the universe just sometimes just is so extraordinary for some reason, in September 2017, we were like, okay, let's go to Orange for the weekend. So Stephen hadn't spent a lot of time with Dad at that point because we were only like nearly a year into our relationship. And um, so anyway, on the Saturday um, my, and the Sunday, my dad was teaching Stephen to drive the tractor. We were feeding cows. The weirdest thing I can't even tell you on the Saturday night because Stephen was there and I swear to God, I've never done this in my life. They were having such an amazing conversation and Stephen's really good at asking questions. So he's like, oh, John, like, you know, how did you grow up and all this stuff. It was such an amazing conversation. I went and got my phone. And I secretly recorded it. Like it's whack. I've never done. I know, but like, why would I even do that? Do you know what I mean? Like, I still go. Never in my life have I ever even thought about that. But it was just such an amazing conversation. So I went and recorded it, and um, and then on the Sunday again, my dad has never done this because um, it's like apple orchard. All the um, all the what are they called? The um, beautiful flowers where all the blossoms were out. And we walked to a tree and Stephen had his camera there. Again, all these things have never happened. And dad chopped me with secateurs, this massive bunch of blossoms. And because Stephen had his good camera, which by the way, I don't think he's even used since, like all of these things were just so bizarre. Um, mm. Stephen took all these photos of dad and me cuddling and like chopping blossoms and all this stuff, right? So we just had like the most connected amazing extraordinary weekend of my life with my dad like it was and my dad's not really wasn't really a connected person but it was just like all these amazing things that we captured on camera and on tape or on my phone and then um and then the next day my dad had a heart attack and died like literally and um (laughs) so which was shocking and unexpected but also I was just like what the freak like Mm -hmm. I have all this stuff we just had the most so it was weird because even though I was like devastated and so 
upset I was also in me just like so grateful and just kept reflecting on oh my god like how amazing and Mm -hmm. again this is like perspective right because my sister and my niece were meant to be going to stay with dad I think two weeks later or something for school holidays and so her experience sadly was completely different because she felt robbed so there I was like oh my god I just had the most connected weekend ever and she was Mm. like oh my god but we were just about to and so everything is like you know timing and perspective anyway then the great irony was that I was like grieving through all of that and then dad had a marine insurance business with seven staff I think and suddenly like I was the one who had to be like oh my god I have to try and run a marine insurance business just as my own business was well you're all the woman for it if anyone's (laughs) the job it's you (sighs) people in an industry I know nothing about (laughs) so yeah anyway we got through (laughs) yeah yeah but I'm forever forever grateful and I think it's very much you know your whole podcast is about this but I think forever whenever I feel sad about dad I try and reframe it and flip it to you know the just unexpected and beyond extraordinary time we had on that weekend and I go no and why and and how like how is all of that possible the Mm. camera the blossoms the recording his conversation like him teaching Stephen to drive a tractor like it was just nuts like it was almost like we packed every great memory of an entire lifetime into one weekend so that's where I've really chosen to focus on that as the extraordinary Mm, absolutely magical just yeah goosebumps goosebumps I feel like we'll have to get you on for like part two. Yeah. <laughs> one again. I feel like we could just keep talking and talking and talking. You're well, just I would be honoured, but hopefully not too many more disasters. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no more adversity, please. <laughs> oh, Lisa, um, it's been a treat. Well, I love and admire both of you and thank you so much for being such beautiful women and bringing so much of your own courage um, and wisdom into the world so yeah I really appreciate um, being on with you thank you as always a huge thanks for tuning in guys we really hope that you enjoyed listening to this episode and before we go we have a little favor to ask we'd love it if you could leave us a rating or a review wherever you listen to your podcast as it really helps other grievers find us too until next time 